Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3. <clears throat> I had no idea that Ashley was going to sing that song this morning. But I do want to talk about it for just a minute. <clears throat> From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. How many of you would agree with that statement? Raise your hand if you would agree with that statement. Okay, most, most of us would. Okay. <clears throat> Words of power strong to save that will never pass away. I will stand on every promise of your word. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to be talking about the promises of the word of God. And, and I couldn't think, I, she started singing this, I thought, wow, what a perfect song. If I could have picked a song for her to sing prior to the message, it would be this song. Does anybody know how many promises there are in the Word of God? Anybody want to take a guess? A lot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow, that's kind of general. <laughs> no, seriously, does anybody have a clue how many promises there are in the Word of God. Okay, one of the sources that I that I referenced for this message uh, said that there's over 3,500 promises in the Word of God. Now, I, I I have I have not the about the ability and the time to research all 3,500 plus promises that this source was referencing but i believe it to be very very accurate or at least close now how many of those promises now we claim that every promise of the word of god is true do we not yeah. how many of them do we know seriously i started thinking about this and i it was pretty pathetic what i came up with anybody Name one. Okay, salvation. Okay, what's another one? Okay, what's another one? You get my point? We have, we have generally, generally, we, at least me, I, I have about six that I like. And I have about four or five I don't like. Okay, I'm just being honest. Uh, I'm sorry. There you go. That's somewhere in Proverbs. <laughs> but you know, we sing songs like this, and we 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 make the claim that I will stand on every promise of your word. But how many of them do we know? And 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 really, when it boils down to it, we we don't really know that many. And it's really sad. I never really stopped to think about it, but I did some research, and the very first promise in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou uh, hast done this, thou art cursed above all the uh, cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go. And the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall, bru- and, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt uh, bruise his heel. Now this is, this is <clears throat> from what I can understand, the very first promise in the word of God. And it is fulfilled uh, in Jesus Christ, is it not? Now we see it in Genesis, or Genesis, in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. Uh, but when the fullness of time it was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under law, to redeem the, uh, them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then the last promise in Scripture is is one that we we all have uh, quoted at one time or another. Uh, this morning, you probably just didn't think of it, but you're very familiar with it, I'm sure, if, you, if you've been saved or you're familiar with Scripture at all. And that is Revelation 22, verse 20. <clears throat> and he which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. How many times have we said, Oh, come, Lord, come now. Amen. That's a promise of God. He is coming. That's a promise that we can, quote unquote, take to the bank. One of the things that I love to do as I look through Scripture is I like to uh, study people in, in, in the Bible. And as I was thinking about this morning's message, I have several people in the Bible that I admire greatly. And also I have, there are several people that are still alive, uh, people that have influenced my life uh, that I admire greatly. And the one thing that I think is the common denominator in, in all of that is the fact that these are people that are in Scripture or that God has put in my life, people that hold on to the promises of God. Because life happens, does it not? But the one constant that we have are the promises of the Word of God. It is the one thing that we can always count on. This morning's message, I want to give you five essential promises of God. And if you've you've been coming to Grace Baptist Church for any amount of time, or, or really any other church for any amount of time, none of this is going to be an awe moment. Okay, these are just promises that God has given us that we need to look at periodically and remind ourselves how much God really does love us. <clears throat> I have a question, a couple of two questions, actually. The first one is, are the promises of God reserved for only those who are saved? No, they're not. Now, there are some promises that are specific for safe people but then there are some promises that are for mankind in general question number two are all the promises of god unconditional no Uh, there are some conditional promises if you do this i will do this Uh, those are conditional promises but the first one i want to start off with this morning is the fact that that number one god loves you unconditionally God loves you unconditionally there is nothing that you can do that can remove the love of God in your life John chapter 3 let's start reading in verse 16 
For God so loved the world. If you know this verse, quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, what an incredible truth that you love me unconditionally. Help us, dear God, this morning to try and wrap our heads around this unconditional love. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I can honestly say that for me, I, even to this day, struggle with the fact that God loves me. Because I know who I am. And there are days I don't even like me. And, we're, and if we're honest, we, each of us are like that too. We live in a world that is filled with promises that leave us empty and wanting more, do we not? <clears throat> Relationships that don't last. Promises that never are fulfilled. <clears throat> Those that we trust let us down. That's, that's life. But the promises that God has given us never fail. They never let us down. God has proven his unconditional love to you and I over and over and over. The fact that you are still alive proves his unconditional love. Uh, Danny and I like to say oftentimes if, if either one of us were God, uh, there would be dead people all over the place. Would there not be? Yeah. But see, the fact that God puts up with us is, is evident of, of, of his love for us. Now, I want to stop right here and I want to make one thing very, very, very clear. I am not talking about religion. Jesus was never interested in religion. Jesus' whole purpose for doing what he did was to develop a relationship with you and with, with me, with mankind. In fact, we find out what Jesus thought of the religious crowd in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. In other words, he's addressing the religious crowd. And he says, For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are with, within full of dead men's bones and, and of all uncleanness. See, Jesus looked at the religious crowd and he said, Look, you look good on the outside, you dress right, you act right, you sound right, you do everything right, you look good. But the truth is you're empty on the inside. You're full of dead men's bones. See, that's what Jesus, Jesus looks on the heart. And Jesus this morning is not interested in what you look like and sound like, but he wants your heart this morning. And we call that relationship. 
not religion. The world that we live in is drunk with religion, is it not? Jesus desires a relationship with you and I. We see it again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It is about relationship. Jesus stands at the, at the heart of every believer, knocking and saying, Hey, I want to be part of your life. It is also a demonstration of the unsaved, how much he loves the unsaved as well. Because he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world and have a relationship with each and every one of us. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verses 8 to 8, excuse me, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I, I am not a legal scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but <clears throat> those two verses eliminate any possibility of anything or anybody removing the love of God from your life in a, in a legal sense. There is nothing, there is no scenario that can happen. There is no combination of scenarios and people or whatever that can separate you from the love of God in your life. Wrap your head around that one. God loves you unconditionally. Amen. Number two, God has provided a pathway to that relationship. And I, want to, I want you to get a hold of this because this is important. Let's look at verse 16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life relationship Peter was confronted with a lame man laying in front of a temple <clears throat> and Peter I forget who Peter was with but anyway Peter was with someone else anyway they were walking into the temple and 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 the lame man was laying there begging for money when Peter Peter says look I don't have any money but I got something better than money what did he do? He gave him Jesus Christ. Look at uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, verse 6. And Peter said, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, Jesus or, excuse me, Peter recognized that this lame man's greatest need was not money. It was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the pathway that God has provided for us for that relationship. We need Jesus Christ in our lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Those of you know that uh, a couple weeks ago I was in Washington, D.C. for the uh, uh, Capital Connection. And <clears throat> I was invited to the White House to meet with uh, uh, high-ranking government officials. And one of the things that I found out really, really quick was that there is not an easy pathway to the president. Okay? I, I mean, I was in the White House, but there was no way I was getting anywhere near that man. Think about this. Your pathway to God is through Jesus Christ. There was no way in the world. Now, again, I was I, I was in a with a with a bunch of other pastors. We were meeting with some high-ranking government officials, the Department of Labor, and different things. <clears throat> but there was no way they were letting puny little old me get anywhere near the president. But I have access to an Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Think about. Another demonstration of his unconditional love for us. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, what an incredible demonstration of the unconditional love of God in your life. <clears throat> number three. <clears throat> and this one, number three is one that I have found that many people struggle with. <clears throat> Most people can kind of comprehend the unconditional love. Most people can. Most people can uh, understand the, the, the pathway, if you would, that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. Most people can, can, can do that. But number three is one that many, many people struggle with. God formed you and knows you. God formed you and knows you. I cannot tell you how many times a week I deal with people that are unhappy with who they are and what they are. And I'm here to tell you, God makes no mistakes. Amen. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14 says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in, in my mother's womb, and I will praise thee, for I am fearfully, get this, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, <clears throat> and that my soul knoweth right well. Now, I'm going to say something, that, and I guarantee I'm going to offend somebody, and I'm really sorry. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm trying to make a point here. <clears throat> Have you noticed how many commercials on television today deal with vanity. Hair products, hair hair replacement, I don't know. I, I was I was watching the news the other night and the commercial came on 
for this company that implants hair and doing, uh, you know what, you know what, I'm losing it, okay? And some of us, you know, hey, you know what? I, I'm here to tell you, God made you like that. I, I, you know, now granted, do I wish I had more hair? Yeah, probably, but it doesn't bother me that I'm losing my hair. It bothers me occasionally when I'm, because I'm six foot one, I hit my head a lot. <clears throat> and I, there were times, yeah, it hurts, especially when you keep doing it, you know. You know, there are times that I wish I was shorter. But I'm okay with being six foot one because that's how God made me. Now, there's a couple of words here. Uh, c- can we back up a verse, Chris? And I, I want to, there's a couple of words here that we, we read and we don't always understand. And I want to kind of help you put it into context here. The word possessed literally means to create. But really, it, it, it goes beyond more than just creating. It, has, it get, carries the idea of ownership because he created. kind of wrap your head around that one he owns you because he created you you are fearfully and wonderfully made the next word i want to look at is the word reigns and and this is this one and when i tell you really literally what this word means you're going to go huh it literally means your kidneys <laughs> And most people think, wow, kidneys? You're kidding. No. What, what, okay, you got to understand. <clears throat> Psalm was written in the Old Testament, and he was writing to Hebrews. And the Hebrews believed that the most precious, most intimate part of your body was your kidneys. Because they're like hidden in the back. They're, they're like way back inside they're they are the most precious part and 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 the, the to the hebrew culture that is the place where your desires and your longings resided in your body hidden behind everything so when 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 he says that <clears throat> uh, uh, that he created my reins what is he saying that that god created or he owns the most intimate part of who you are. He knows you inside and out. And then he goes on and he uses the word covered. Thou hast covered me. The word covered literally means to knit or to crochet. What do you do when you knit something? You 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 know you knit a blanket or something and you cover, you know, you knit a blanket to cover a baby, whatever. The idea here is now put, put all these three words together for thou hast created or owns because you created my most inner, most precious part of my body. And you knit, knitted me together in my mother's womb. You literally put all the pieces together in my mother's womb. And I'm ugly like this because of God. <laughs> it's his fault. Why my wife married this, I have no idea. But honestly, when you understand the preciousness of these two verses, we ought to be incredibly grateful for who we are and what we are. 
We live in a world today <clears throat> that tells us. I, am I being recorded? Good. I hope I, because I want this to get out. I don't want any any mistakes here. <clears throat> Abortion is wrong. God makes every single baby that has ever been created and ever will be created. And each one of them is special. Each one of them. And what is happening in our world today is a tragedy. I just wanted to make sure that everybody understood each one of those is a precious baby that God has created and has a right to live. Because he created us and made us special and knows the most inner parts of our, of our being, can we hide from him? No. Can we, can we hide our emotions from him? No. Do you know that God collects every tear of yours in a bottle? Think about that. I don't think he literally has a bottle full of your tears, but but the point is he the, the, the point is he takes he takes notice of every tear that you that you that you comes out of your eyeball. He knows every emotion that you experience. He knows you inside and out. I read a story recently of a young lady who had who had gotten saved and wanted to join uh, with a church and <clears throat> went to the church uh, leadership and said, "Hey, you know, I, I want to become part of this church and join the church." And the the <clears throat> the elder, the deacon of the church, says, uh, <clears throat> "Were you a sinner?" before you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the young lady says, oh, yeah, I was a sinner. <clears throat> he asked her, he said, are you still a sinner? And she says, oh, sometimes I think I'm worse now than I was before. So the, the concern of the, of the deacon, he says, well, <clears throat> what real change have you experienced? And she said this, she said, you know, I don't know quite how to explain it, but before I was saved, I was a sinner running to sin. And now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. See, that's what, that's, that's what should be taking place in our lives. Why? Because God knows us inside and out. And as he reveals things to us about us and about our lives, <clears throat> we need to understand that he's trying to develop a relationship with us. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure a good man, uh, <coughs> some would even die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love these two verses because it goes through and it says, you know what? <clears throat> for a righteous man, one would die. For a good man, yeah, okay, some would even die for. But nobody would die for a Hitler. 
Nobody would die for a, a Saddam Hussein or some wacko job that's out killing people. Nobody would do that. But Jesus Christ did. And while we were sinners, before, before we got our, our thinking right, obviously 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus Christ died for you and me. Praise God for that. His desire to have a relationship with us. Here's another one that many people struggle with. Number four, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an, an expected end. Our world today only knows brokenness and heartache. The promises that our world offers us are empty promises that only lead to brokenness and heartache. But we serve a God that only knows hope and restoration. Praise God for that. There's an interesting phrase here, to give an expected end. The, the last little bit of this verse, to give an expected end. That literally means to give hope. To give hope. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you hope. What is the thing that people in our world are trying to find through, through all the things that the world has to offer? Hope. Why, why, do, why do rich people want to be richer? Because they, they, they hope that one day they'll, they'll not need any more. But the problem is the more you have, the more you want. Why do addicts try and get the next fix so that they can find that peace and that comfort? Hope. Our world is, is dying for hope. Most of you know that my brother committed suicide when I was 16 years old. He was 19, I was 16. <clears throat> and because of that, as I grew older, I started, I wouldn't say I've studied suicide, but I've read a lot about it. And the one thing that I have noticed, and again, I'm no expert, this is just my observation. The one thing that I've noticed about suicide is that the people who attempt suicide and then those that do successfully acquire it will almost always tell you that they had no hope. Now, there, there were a lot of peripheral things, money, relationships, things like that, 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 that got, it, got them to this point, but ultimately it boils down to no hope. And we, our world today, uh, suicide is, is, is rampant among our teenagers. It's, it's rampant among our, our, our adults, the, the, 
the, the rate of suicide across our nation is just skyrocketing. No hope. What is Jeremiah saying? God knows. Well, let, let, let's go back. Let, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Psalm chapter 139, verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> How precious <clears throat> also are the thoughts uh, unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. <clears throat> when I awake, I am still with thee. The psalmist, when he wrote this, was appealing to the the goodness of God in his life. Hope. I have three questions for you. Three obvious questions. Number one, well, three obvious answers, excuse me. Number one, does God know, does... Does God know what is best for you? Absolutely. He knows what is best for you. Number two, does God want what is best for you? Okay, now those two, those two questions are, are obvious. <clears throat> God knows what is best for you. God wants what is best for you. But here's where the rubber meets the road. Will God do what is best for you? And if that means that you have to go through a trial, then guess what? You go through the trial. Because God knows and wants what's best for you, and that's what he's going to do for you. Let's Again, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and, 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 and really get a hold of this idea of hope. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's desire for you is to grow you, to mature you, and to make you into something that you are not presently. That's how much God loves you. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 2. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when uh, the desire cometh, it is the tree of life. The word deferred here literally means to be stolen or taken away. What happens in our lives when hope is taken away from us? It makes our hearts sick. How many times have you, have you had that, that sinking feeling when whatever circumstance is happening in your life and, and hope has been taken away from you? How many times have you felt that that just incredible weight and sick feeling down deep in your stomach? That's what this is talking about. That's how critical hope is. And see, God's desire for, for your life and for mine is to provide you with hope. Because when hope is taken away or stolen from you, it makes us sick to our stomachs. It's a heaviness that that almost seems unbearable. God's plan, now now get this, please get this. God's plan for our lives requires obedience. Now this is a progression here, okay? So if God's plan requires obedience, 
then obedience requires faith, does it not? Well, faith then requires risk. Does that make sense? See, if God's plan is for, for us to be obedient, which that is God's plan for our lives, then, then eventually, to, to put it another way, eventually what God's wanting us to do is to get out of our comfort zone. Because faith is the evidence of things hoped for, uh, or the evidence of things not seen. I got that backwards. Anyway, that's okay. You get the point. There are times in our lives because of obedience and, and our faith that God wants us to step out of our comfort zone. How many of us in this room this morning like to be out of our comfort zones? Yeah, I didn't think so. None of us do. But that's where faith takes us sometimes. And that brings us to point number five. God loves you unconditionally. God has provided a pathway to relationship. God formed you and knows you. God has a plan for your life. And then number five, God has provided a power source. He's given us the ability, the source, to be able to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 and following. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard uh, and seen in me do. And the, Lord, and, the, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now uh, the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to abase and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, but both to abound and to suffer need. And this is how he sums it all up. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In other words, there are times that God had taken Paul out of his comfort zone and into situations that were not comfortable. And Paul was able to look back at his life and said, I was able to do that because of Jesus Christ. The source that God has given us. The ability to do the things that are difficult. Now, I admit, there are times that I feel all alone. Just, just being honest. But the promises of God are the things that I can hold on to. I want to go back to the song that Ashley sang <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> at the beginning of the service. From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. Words of power, stronger to save, that will never pass away. I will stand on every promise of your word. For your covenant is sure. What is a covenant? It's, a, it's another word for a promise. 
for your covenant or your promise is sure. And on this, I am secure. I can stand on every promise of your word. There is over 3,500 of these promises in this book. And I would dare say if I had a show of hands, most of you would say that, that you believe this book. But then why do we not hold on to his promises? Why do we insist on living life our way instead of his way? See, God's unconditional love, his desire to have a relationship with us, all boils down to the fact that he has given us a book that is powerful and that can change lives. But we have to let this book change our lives. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's not that I can do all things, but I can do all things through Christ because of the promises, every one of the promises that he's given us. Psalm chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Who, who wrote Psalm 18? Anybody? David wrote it. David, David was a great man, but he was also really kind of stupid. He made a lot of really dumb mistakes, like you and I make mistakes. But David understood that every time he made a mistake, he could run back to the promises of God because ultimately he understood where his power came from. And there are times that we stray away from the Lord and God will do things to get us back where he wants us. Just like he would do in the life of David. My source is in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then? <clears throat> uh, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Again, we live in a world that, that tells us that we, because we believe in, 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 in uh, uh, a right for a baby to be born, that there's something wrong with us. No, that's God. We live in a world that tells us, hey, because you believe in Jesus Christ, there's something wrong with you. No, there's something right with you. One of the ways that we know the, the, the promise that I read in, in Revelation 22, verse 20 is coming true. The Lord is coming. One of the reasons we know it's, it's soon is because the part of prophecy says that when, the, when, when things are right, when things that are right are wrong, and things that are wrong are right, it's, it's, it's coming. And that's where we live. Right is wrong and right, right is wrong and wrong is right. We live in a world that's upside down. And if, if, if the world is going to be turned right side up, it is only going to be because believers start doing right. 
and holding on to the promises that this book gives us. Anchoring our hearts and our lives to this book. I want to close with a, with a quote from Ari Torrey. He wrote the following. You may talk about power, but if you neglect one book that God has given you as the one instrument through which he imparts and exercises his power, you will not have it. You may read many books and go to many conferences and <clears throat> you may have all uh, all night prayer meetings to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost, but unless you keep in uh, constant and close association with the one book, the Bible, you will have no power. If you ever had power, you will not maintain it <coughs> except by daily, earnest, intense study of the book. Ninety-nine Christians in every hundred are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every hundred are merely, or excuse me, are mere weaklings when they might be giants, both in their Christian life and in their service. I don't know if his numbers, his percentages are correct, but I do know this. If we want the power of God, it's going to be because of the promises of this book. And when we allow these promises to be a part of our lives, it will change our lives. And it all starts with God's unconditional love for each and every one of us. The fact that he has provided a pathway for a relationship with each and every one of us. The fact that he has formed you and he knows your most intimate thoughts and, and, and everything about you but he also has a plan for your life. And that plan can only be executed when you tap into the power source. This morning, I want to challenge you. Do you believe the book? The promises are there. All you got to do is go get them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Thank you for your love.